the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, faithful listeners, Ron Geyer. One more week of the seven churches back here with End Time Insights. We're starting the last church today. I hope you've been enjoying them and listening to them. Don't forget, if Jesus were to be here today, this is what he would be telling us. He'd be showing up at your church Sunday morning, and he'd be reading you from one of these letters that he wrote, just to give you any corrections, any encouragement that he felt you guys needed. And today we're on the last church. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. It's called the Church at Laodicea. And uh, I am going to give you a characteristics. Uh, I'm going to go talk to you about the city of Laodicea. Then I'll briefly talk to you about the church at Laodicea. And then we'll actually get into the Bible to talk about what Jesus had to say. And Laodicea, it was the most southern of the seven cities. You know, the seven cities started on the east coast, and then you went up north, came around a little bit to the west, and came back down south. Laodicea was the southernmost of all of them. It was founded by Antiochus, something like that, the second, and he named it for his wife, Laodicea. Uh, It was situated between two cities, and this is important. The two cities it was situated between were Colossae and Heropolis, and we'll go into that in a minute. Very important. It was the greatest banking or the financial institution in all of Asia Minor. It was the wealthiest city in the land. It was hit with a major earthquake back in uh, 60 AD, probably 33, 34 years before this was written. Then the people there, since it was such a wealthy city, they built the city themselves. They didn't go to Rome for any financial assistance. They did it on their own and just led. The city was a very prideful city. It was a very affluent city, and they trusted in themselves. And, of course, you know what that does. It was a manufacturing and a retail city of textiles. They manufactured, they produced a soft, shiny, elegant black wool, which was used for uh, dressing the rich people there, the source of pride, this material that they manufactured. Uh, Laodicea had a huge medical center there. They made a special ointment for the eyes, and that's important. Jesus is going to reference that. Some history books actually had a name for that ointment that they used to heal the eyes. It was called Phrygian powder, and it was very famous throughout the entire region. But the biggest issue with Laodicea, they had no permanent source for water. Water had to be piped in from five miles away or nine miles away, depending whether they went and they got their water from Colossae or Heropolis. It had no permanent source for water, and the problem was they built these aqueducts and these aqueducts. The ruins, they showed the huge deposits of calcium carbonate that actually clogged these lines. We'll talk more about that in the future, but just remember, they had no permanent source of water. 
and it was actually between two springs of water. The one in Colossi was super cold, and it brought a refreshing to the people at Laodicea, and the one in Heropolis was super hot, and it was therapeutic, and it brought healing, and we're going to reference that. Jesus talks about that. Characteristics of the church at Laodicea, Archippus, A-R-C-H-I-P-P-U-S, he was most likely the pastor of the church, and we know that from Colossians four sixteen and 17, where Paul criticized him personally with stern words because Paul felt he was not fulfilling his ministry. And uh, Colossians four sixteen and 17, quoting Paul, And when the epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. This was a rather stern rebuke by Paul, kind of implying that he was failing in his assignment. And when you look at the condition of the church at Laodicea, you probably would agree with that. This was the only church with no redeeming qualities. Nothing that Jesus said, nothing he did, he couldn't commend them about anything. They had no characteristics that he found pleasing. Let's get into the Bible. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And remember, Jesus always introduces himself in the area of need that the churches have. There's an interesting point here, though. You know, when he spoke to the church at Smyrna or the church at uh, Sardis or the church at Philadelphia, he called them that. He addressed the church. Here he addresses the church of the Laodiceans. He makes it very personal with them. All the other letters, they say, unto the angel of the church or the church in, they use the actual name of the city, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. But here, this letter is written to the people, to the Laodiceans. They are the inhabitants of the church of Laodicea. It's like saying Eustonians instead of to the church in Houston. Once again, this shows the very personal tack that Jesus wanted to take with these people. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things say the Amen. The amen, the firm, the trustworthy one, he was surely, he was verily, he was truthful. So be it. What I am saying is guaranteed. It can be proven. This is what the Lord Jesus is trying to say to them. I am the truth. Isaiah sixty-five sixteen in the King James refers to God as the God of truth. But the Hebrew actually says the God of the amen. This was Jesus's last letter to the seventh church. And it's his last words to the church. It's his definitive voice his final voice to the church while the church was going to be on the earth. He has spoken. There is nothing left that the church needs to hear directly from him. Jesus has said it all. He is the amen, the so be it. He has issued his final instructions, your last chance to make it right. His last thoughts, his last encouragement. It's his last promise, his last rebuke to the church whom he loves. Don't forget the church at Laodicea, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, Smyrna, Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira. They were all one church. We are all one church, one church body. However, they were situated in different parts of the city. That's why he broke it down like that. But it's all one church. Don't think of it as other churches, separate churches, seven churches. It's one church habitating different regions in the area. Second Corinthians one twenty for the promises of God in him are yea and amen unto the glory of God by us. Jesus, once he says something, he says it all. There is nothing to add. That's why there's such a penalty if people try to add or take away from the word that's written in the book. 
You can't do it. There's a penalty. The curses that are written in the book will come upon you if you start messing with God's word. The amen. He says that to affirm the veracity of his statements. Seeing what Jesus said in his letter, you could say that this was his final warning to the church. Also, since this is the very last letter that Jesus was sending to his church, most of the letters ended with the words amen. Here he starts with the word amen. He reveals himself as also the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Steadfast, full of faith, Jesus, as he has told us to live by faith in Romans one seventeen, so too does he. He lives by faith. He is the faithful and he is the true witness. There is no variableness. There's no shadow or turning in Jesus. He is forever who he said he is, and he will forever remain that way. The Greek word for witness there, it means martyr. And Isaiah 55, verse 4, Behold, I have given him, Jesus, for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. He finishes his introduction by saying, I am the beginning of the creation of God. Now, if you just read that off the top of your head, oh, Jesus was a created being, might be your instant knee-jerk reaction to interpreting that, but that's not what he says at all. The beginning of the creation of God. Scripture declares over and over and over again that Jesus was always a part of the beginning of creation. Proverbs 8 talks all about this. But the Holman translation reads it like this. He is the originator of creation. That's who he is. He was not a created being. Jesus is the amen, the so be it. He is all of the promises of God. In him they are yes and amen. He is complete. The beginning of the creation of God, Gusick says it like this. The idea behind the word for beginning, the ancient Greek word is arche, A-R-C-H-E. Perhaps we get our word archaic from it, which means old or the original. Is that of a ruler or a source of origin, not of first in a sequential or chronological order. This verse does not teach that Jesus was the first thing being created, but that he is the ruler. He is the source. He is the origin of all creation. It's quite a different thought there. It has the idea of first in prominence more than first in sequence. Verse 15, Jesus says, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, this phrase, this identifying phrase to the people of Laodicea, it's got great impact because they were living in a place that had no natural source of water. Remember, they had to build an aqueduct and they had a hookup with the cities of Colossae and Hierapolis, and they had to actually import their water. I think it was nine miles to the cold waters and five miles to the hot waters. And by the time it came through the pipes and everything, it, it, it wasn't that refreshing and it wasn't that hot anymore. This identifying phrase that's used to describe the church at Laodicea may seem to be vague or overly general to us, hard or cold, right? But no, because of the limited water supply in the city, they had no source and so they had to import their water. We need to connect the words with their geographical association, particularly in the city. Cold is sucrose, and it can mean cold to the point of freezing, freezing cold. Hot is zestos, and it means hot to the point of boiling. Lukewarm or tepid is, let me see if I can say this right, kliaros. The thing which are tepid often have a nauseating effect. Hot food and cold food can be both appetizing, but tepid food will often make the stomach turn. Amen? Directly opposite Laodicea on the other bank of the Lycos and in full view about six miles to the north stood Heropolis. 
and it was famous for its hot mineral springs. And so they built an aqueduct from Heropolis, the six miles, to bring hot water into Laodicea. To the other side, nine miles to the southeast, as a mountainous region, stood the cold, refreshing springs of Colossae. They built an aqueduct there, too, also. And so this water was piped in. And originally when it left Heropolis, when it left Colossae, it was hot and it was cold. But by the time it went through that, I'm done with these aqueducts, I think they were like clay pipings. And they picked up all the minerals in them. And that's why they were so foul. It, it was tepid. It was really disgusting. Uh, the project was labeled a big failure because with the attempt to bring in hot water for cleansing or for cleaning or for whatever uses they had hot water for failed because it was no longer hot when it got there. And the refreshing water from Colossi came in from the mountain springs and it was tepid also. It was a total failure. They did a good job. They took a couple of years to build it, but it just didn't really satisfy the need that they had. And so Jesus says in Revelation 3.16, So then, because you, church, the people of the church, the Laodiceans, because you are lukewarm and you're neither cold nor hot, just like the water that they piped in, Jesus says, I'm going to spew thee out of my mouth. And lukewarm, he means tepid, room temperature. It's neutral. It's not ardent. It's not zealous. It's indifferent. That is the type of attitude that the church at Laodicea had. It's a word that describes food laying on a counter for days and days, spoiled food, food that would make you sick, like food poisoning. Spiritually speaking, you could say the church at Laodicea, the people, they were like this, Second Timothy 3, 5. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof, and the Bible says, from such turn away. Romans 10, 2, 4, I bear them record, the Jew, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And then Matthew seven twenty two and 23, you all know this one. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then Jesus says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And so we talked about the engineers. They designed a system of aqueducts. But by the time the water got there, it made Jesus where he actually said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The word for spew thee in the Greek is samsai, to vomit or to throw up because the taste is disgusting. Literally, Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you right out of my mouth. I find you disgusting. You're neither hot. You're neither cold. You make me sick to my stomach. When Jesus chose those words to describe their condition, he knew best what would drive home his point. His point to the saints here is you've tried to go ahead and get some water in there. And the water, by the time it got to you, it makes you sick. Well, that's how you make me feel. They got the picture. That's what's called an emotional word picture because they had an understanding of what sick would be by what they're putting in their mouths through the water that they're drinking. Jesus said, you guys are making me feel that same way. Understand this. They literally had a real-life experience about what their behavior was doing to Jesus. The kingdom of God, it was never built for neutrality, guys. It's never built to be passive. Passivity in God's kingdom, it's never neutrality. Passivity in the kingdom of God is surrender. For whatever the reasons, the saints at Laodicea had surrendered their passion for Jesus, and it made Jesus literally sick to his stomach. Verse 17, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Let's look at that. They thought they were rich. They thought they were increased with goods and they thought that they had need of nothing because they had goods. 
Don't forget, this is the city that rebuilt the city after the earthquake uh, 35 years ago. They were under Roman rule, but they didn't go to the Roman government and said, help us. They were full of pride. They had lots of money. They relied on their money. And they said, we can build this again. And they did. They did a great job. But because thou sayest as a people that I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, you're missing the point, says the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. This was a church that was in trouble. This church was in serious, serious trouble. Not only had they lost their passion for Christ, but they were wretched. They were miserable, they were poor, they were blind, and they were naked. And their great sin... They thought that they were rich and needed nothing. What a sorry state of affairs. Not only could they not see that what they had wasn't what they needed, they didn't know that they needed something else. Sorry, saints positive confession wasn't going to work here. They said they were rich, but they weren't. Rich in the Greek, the word is plosius, and I think we get our word like plurality or It refers to wealth, wealth that's so great it cannot be counted. These folks were rich. It means incredible abundance, magnificent wealth. They said that they were rich. They were rich in that regard, but when Jesus connected to the spiritual state, he said, "Uh uh-uh. Laodicea was the richest of all the cities in Asia. When it was destroyed by the earthquake several years prior, they rejected the government's help, and they rebuilt the city themselves. If you lived in Laodicea, you were rich. If you lived in Smyrna, you were poor, you were persecuted. And if you lived in Thyatira, you were corrupt. I mean, if you lived in Laodicea, you were rich. That's what defined the populace, the people, the people in Laodicea, they were known as being rich. And here we see today many Bible scholars, many Bible commentators, many of today's pastors will tell you that these churches go chronologically in their connection to us in our history And that would put the church at Laodicea in today's church. The parallels between Laodicea and America are numerous, so much so that many regard Laodicea as a perfect picture of our nation, America, today. The affluence of the city and even the affluence of the church cause them to no longer regard God as the source of their great wealth. We've done that here, too, in America, haven't we? We have replaced Jehovah Jireh and the God of blessings with our own gospel, the prosperity gospel, whereby we combine gospel truths with carnal greed to ensure continued financial blessings to come. And the problem with that is, in a sense, it's working in the carnal sense, but it's really causing us to be deprived in the spiritual sense. You've heard the phrase American exceptionalism. It attributes most of our success to, well, us. We're an exceptional people. We're a people of character. We're a people of integrity. We've got a great work ethic. And the dream, the American dream, has taken our eyes away from knowing God. Our pride, our drive, our individuality, even our freedoms, our reasons, we attribute to our own personal success. We're no different than the saints at Laodicea. We too have become passive and at best about the God who gave us all these things. We're neutral. We could take them or leave them. Amen? We think we work. You work, you'll have success. Well, that's not necessarily true. You trust the Lord Jesus Christ, live by faith, be walking holiness, and you'll have success. Laodicea, we too have become passive. It's a shame. The God who gave us all these things, we put them on the side. We don't attribute our success to him anymore. Our pride has overtaken us. Our pride has overtaken our common sense. We are not self-made success stories. 
God's sovereign will to show the world what he can do with a nation that obeys him is why we are so blessed. But just like Israel, we have wound up rejecting him outright. Laodicea, look at the affluence. They had over 4,500 shops. It had four huge market areas. We would call them malls in our vernacular today. Well, most cities of that day, they were fortunate to have two malls. Most of them only had one. It had a 60,000-seat stadium. Don't forget, this is 2,000 years ago, man. A 60,000-seat stadium. A 60,000-seat stadium today would be considered huge. It had a prosperous textile industry. It served as the banking center for the entire region. Their riches had so blinded them to their true needs, which were spiritual, that they would say, I have need of nothing. Well, Jesus saw things differently. Like the saints there... America and the church in America, we've taken our eyes off the true riches and our need for them and our lack of them. Americans and the church in America truly have fallen in love with ourselves. Rick Renner says it like this. The church at Laodicea is a picture of what happens to a person or a group of people who enters into pride. They became the center of their own world. Wow, where have I heard that before? Men will become lovers of selves. They've become the center of our own world, and their self-centeredness caused them to become independent, self-reliant, and the result of that was they forgot God. They also forgot about the needs of others as well as their own spiritual needs. Going back into the Bible, continuing on, Jesus gave them this condemnation. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and naked, And knowest not, this is their sin, there's a very emphatic phrase when he says that. There's a total lack of comprehension on the part of the saints here. You don't know anything. You know it's not what? Thou art. This is a direct word to them. It's a confrontational tone. In its context, it's an accusation. You not only don't know, you are. He is challenging them. And here we go. Thou art wretched. The word is hold taliporis. You are in a calloused condition, the most miserable and calloused of everyone. Jesus told them that they were calloused towards him. Being calloused means that something has been rubbing against something else for a long period of time, and it's deadened the nerves. It's deadened their senses. They had no spiritual sense to their need for Christ. Their unchallenged pride had so hardened them towards Christ's call to humility, they were numb to the sharp pain of his continued rebukes. They were miserable. The word for this is Ilianos, in need of pity. They were to be pitied. Jesus told them that they had needs, all right. They were quite poor. They had many needs. They had need of pity because he was showing them their pitiful state. And if they didn't do something about it, all the riches that they held would do them no good. Jesus told this, air quotes, very rich people that they were actually living in abject poverty. Poor, the word there is tokos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S, tokos. It's the lowest category of poor people. It means destitute. They were impoverished. Even though it was a great banking and financial center, actually when Cicero, the Roman emperor, was traveling in Asia Minor, it was at Laodicea that he would cash his letters of credit. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the world. In AD 61, it was devastated by an earthquake, but so rich and independent were its citizens, they went ahead, refused any help from Rome, and they rebuilt the city on their own. Tacitus writes in his commentaries, one of the most famous cities of Asia, Laodicea was in the same year overthrown by an earthquake without any relief from us. It recovered itself by its own resources. 
And this is what led to so much pride. No wonder that Laodicea could boast that it was rich and had amassed wealth and had need of nothing. It was so wealthy, it did not even need God. They were blind. The word there is tuflos. More than just one who can't see, but it depicts a person who has been intentionally blinded by someone else. This person hasn't just lost his sight, but he no longer has eyes to see. I'm going to have to stop here. We can pick up on this next week, but speaking about the blindness, you know, our nation is blind. Uh, We are blind to the assault that we're under. It's a demonic assault. It's attacking the church from outside the church. It is so devious. It is now attacking the church from inside the church. The church has come to the point where we actually deny the sovereignty of God. I've never heard anything. It's so ridiculous. We're talking about the fact that God's not sovereign in the earth anymore. That's how far we have fallen. This is the church. The number one thing that the church should be promoting is that God, God is God. You're not. He is sovereign over the entire earth, over his creation, over everything. We'll come back and we'll pick up from this point when we resume next week. But I want you to know the sovereign God of all creation sent Jesus Christ, his son, who loves you. We'll see you next week. I'm Ron Geyer. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.